Welcome to another episode of Forward Talks by Gumbuk, a podcast about moving towards sustainability in our region and beyond. I'm Tatiana Antonelli. Our guest today is Asia Riccio, the founder of Evolving Women, an organization trying to provide a platform to prepare unemployed women from less privileged backgrounds in Africa. Their goal is to support social responsibility as well as skill development and overall women empowerment. So my, my, my background actually is in hospitality, so that's why I've always started since I was uh, um, uh, 13, 14. Um, so I, I worked in operation and then I worked into HR in training, um, human resources. And in 2016, I had the chance to travel in Africa. I was shocked by how many women I was coming across who, in one way or another, were marginalized, uh, whether because they were a uh, uh, victim of violence, um, whether because they could not go to school. So they, they, they had not a place in society, essentially. So uh, the, the reality was that if you were a victim of violence, then your family didn't want you. The moment you, you, you are rejected by your family, then you almost don't have that, that. You don't see yourself in a community anymore. You know, you, you feel marginalized. If you, if you were coming from a background where financially, uh, um, social norms, finances would prefer a boy to go into school than a girl, then again, you know, you, you, were, you were leaving school at the age of 10. By the time you were 18 and you wanted to enter the job market professionally, you had eight years of skill development you had to catch up on compared to the boy. So completely, you know, they were, they were in a completely different league and, and, and much, much behind um, compared to men. So I came across so many women who were part of these categories, whether there was a financial issue, whether there was education, uh, quality of education that was not there, victim of violence. And, and I kept coming back to Dubai thinking, you know, I can't believe that we are in 2016 and I see all these dynamics that my mom was talking to me about in the 60s when she was growing up. Um, and... You know, it's a very strange feeling. You have to be in that situation. You know, I was, I was sitting on a plane, coming back to Dubai, thinking, you know, there must be something that, that I can do, right? So every time I was coming back to Dubai, I was working home and my husband was like, you know, what's happening? Because every time you go, you see, you meet these women and you always come back with this desire, almost with this um, feeling that you didn't want to come back. And, uh, you know, I'm getting concerned as your husband, you know, will my, my wife ever come back one day, you know? So um, the, the tipping point was when I went to an event um, and uh, the, 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 there was this, this wonderful uh, um, uh, room full of uh, women. And there was this huge stage where you had this panel of uh, uh, very wealthy women um, and you could, you could hear them the whole day was about raising awareness on uh, uh, quality education in developing countries was about uh, bringing technology to, to developing countries and what kind of campaign what kind of channels they could use to raise awareness and I was sitting in this room thinking you know you're talking about awareness but awareness should be, it should happen when you action on something and you see that that works, now you raise awareness because you want other people to follow you. So, you know, it was all about awareness, awareness, and I got really tired. So I went back home in the evening and I said to my husband, you know, I was so upset today because I was in a room full of women who, of course, they, had, they were financially in a position to actually action and do something. And they were talking about awareness. And he said to me, what are you going to do? And I said, you know what, I could be sitting here 
thinking or we need to raise awareness about the fact that uh, in Africa, women who are from this profile cannot access work, cannot access, you know, development opportunities. Or I could pack my bags and actually go there and see whether there is something I can do. So that's what I did. So the following week, packed my bag. I had a friend based um, in Ghana. So I went to see her and I said, okay, what can we do? And we decided to um, to look at community uh, um, outside Accra, where again we have women with this profile. Uh, we trained around ten girls, and um, we found them jobs in uh, in in Ghana. And then I said, okay, one lady who is particularly good. Let me see if I can find her job in Dubai. Let's try. And and uh, she interviewed with the hotel in Dubai. She got a job and she came to Dubai. And that's how all women started. What, what did you find any difficulty into wanting to bring someone from Ghana to Dubai? Actually, um, what really encouraged me to to do it full time was the fact that the the um, uh, the, the um, interest and the support I had from people in Dubai was more than I thought. I would get maybe what was missing was someone who would do the action and someone <laughs> like stopped working on awareness you know leave awareness to PR and social media I mean corporates have to action you know and um, um, so after that uh, first uh, um, lady with the, I then decided to really put together a program that was for two years and um, a program that would uh, not only look at um, uh, the on-job training in the hotel, but also their personal development. So we start establishing partnerships with, uh, um, with Accenture, with, now we have a partner with, with Amit University, so to bring more quality education to the program. Um, so we essentially now what we do, we identify um, uh, mainly schools in rural areas where the um, alumni, um, so women who left school, let's say, three years ago, are still unemployed. And we work with these women. And usually when you go into rural areas, these women have the challenges we were talking about. We, um, we have um, a very strict selection process where we do lots of different assessment. Um, we have um, even a psychologist that helps us with the assessment. Um, once the selection is done, then uh, the girls come through a training program. And that's still in their own country. And when we feel they are ready to connect with hotels and have interviews, then we connect them with our partners here. The moment they get uh, a job, uh, sign a contract, get a visa, then they come to Dubai for two years. And when they're here, basically, we see them every month. We, do, uh, we support them in anything we, we, we can. We have mentors that support them throughout, uh, throughout the, the, the 24 months. Um, we have a network of professionals that they access just to to have more advice while they're here. And then after these two years, we help them find jobs back home because it's not a relocation program. And essentially the impact we want to measure is back there. So what happens when someone who has now international experience has um, a, a better qualifications goes back? What happens to herself, to the children she has, the family, the community and so on? So that's the real impact not here. So here is all the input. Yes. Yeah? The uh, input, output, but... The, the impact is there. So how does that work? What are you? Are you a consultancy? Are you an NGO? Are you a social uh, enterprise? How did you start this venture? So I, I've registered for profit because when, uh, um, uh, um, when I set up was in, at the end of 2016, 
and um, I need the license. So I set it up as for profit because I wasn't really clear on the NGO status and what was the process to, to, to go through that. Also because at that time I did not have a legal team. I did not have someone who could explain me the difference and everything. So I set it up for, 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 uh, for profit just to take all the... Uh, um, gray areas <laughs> um, away and um, it is for profit I personally run it as um, at the moment as an NGO really or social enterprise um, we don't have a social enterprise license here so it was very difficult to um, to have a social enterprise status uh, but there, there are changes happening in the region so I'm very confident in the future I'll be able to to have um, a, um, a social enterprise status. So how do you fund yourself? How does that work? Because, I mean, to be able to travel there and do all those programs inside, that costs quite a certain amount of money. And then to bring them here, who pays for all the setup? The the, the, the first few times we launched, we around the program it was very much through partnerships so we had very little costs um, I think the fact that I couldn't set up an NGO right away made me very creative about how I'm going to make this sustainable so I, I thought of so many different models to actually make it uh, uh, sustainable um, So, and I'm not saying that in the future I wouldn't set up an NGO on the side to access more funding because we can reach more women. But now what we do, um, we have a small contribution from the hotels as a CSR management fee because we report on what the girls are learning. So we give them reports and we need to have money to, to produce that kind to collate all the data. Um, we, and, and we are a service provider to government in developing countries. So we basically send, essentially we, we sell a study abroad program to a government in Africa where uh, the national agenda has, uh, you know, uh, women empowerment priorities, um, uh, um, improving education, improving skill development, especially um, if they are trying to improve uh, tourism and the hospitality industry. So we, we work very closely with governments. So what are the, the numbers of this impact? Because as an initiative, it's amazing to, to just think, to be able to you know, empower these women for, to have a better life. How many so far? So you started in 2016, now we're about to enter 2020. Yeah, so we have, uh, so the first program was launched in 2017. 2018, we trained 10 girls. During the selection process, we, we measure, as an example, um, how much is the total income in the family, how much they spend on food, how much they spend on education, whether they have a salary, which 100% of the time is no. Um, after the program, some of the indicators we will measure are based on those. You know, how is the uh, um, uh, spending power on food, education, or medicals? How is improving? Um, do you have money to go to to have your child go to school? Um, so we, there are financial and, and also. Uh, we look at um, how they grow in the new organization they join um, because we want to look at, you know, if 29% of women are a management level in Ghana, we want to increase that percentage to our girls. Um, so we're looking at uh, quantity in terms of financial, but also qualitative in terms of, um, you know, their promotion and how much they can grow in the organization. And and, and also one thing that uh, we, we want to say is also, uh, you know, how far ahead they are compared to girls who were from the same community with the kind the similar profile who have not been on the program because that's a case for us to make and say you know what we're doing is is giving something is doing something positive now there are two things really i want to i want to make sure that 
are clear. So number one, be, because the program is for two years, um, we can't measure any impact yet, in, true social impact. Um, that's one one thing. So the only thing we can measure is how many hours of training they do, uh, you know, how much uh, more spending power they have because now they have a salary. Again, they are all input, in my opinion. They are not uh, social impacted in the way I, I, I see social impact. And also the other thing is that um, in... Um, for me, 2018, uh, 2018 was, okay, let's see from one woman we can expand into 10 women. 2019 was really to to, to uh, make sure that the girls were developing on the program. So the reason I'm saying this is, is because what I'm doing is not about the numbers now of how many girls, because I could go tomorrow to South Africa and bring 100 women. It's not about that. It's more about let's make sure that the program works, because one of the worst nightmares I have is that I wake up in five years' time, I have 5,000 women in Dubai, but actually they're all moving here, which is not what we want to do, or they're not learning anything. There is no impact. So for me, this year was about let's let's work on the program, let's make sure they're learning, let's make sure the next year when they go back, actually there is something they can bring back. So before the end of 2020, I can tell you what impact we're going to generate. We run, um, we have every month um, around 565 hours of training that the girls go through. Um, and that includes face-to-face -face and um, um, online. We have um, two to three hours mentoring hours per girl. They meet at least three or four professionals within the network we bring together every month. So this is what in numbers I can give you. During the selection process, we, we measure, as an example, um, how much is the total income in the family, how much they spend on food, how much they spend on education, whether they have a salary, which 100% of the time is no. Um, after the program, some of the indicators we will measure are based on those. Um, so we, there are financial and, and also uh, we look at um, how they grow in the new organization they join um, because we want to look at, you know, if 29% of women are a management level in Ghana, we want to increase that percentage to our girls. Um, so we're looking at uh, quantity in terms of financial, but also qualitative in terms of, um, you know, their promotion and how much they can grow in the organization. And and, and also one thing that uh, we, we want to see is also, uh, you know, how far ahead they are compared to girls who were from the same community with the kind the similar profile who have not been on the program because that's a case for us to make and say you know what we're doing is is giving something is doing something positive so what you're trying to do is to empower these women with skills but you want them to go back. So the idea is really to then have this social impact back home, right? Yes, because the, the, the program is not a relocation program because then I turn into a recruitment company. That, that's what I was about to ask you. Do you work with recruitment companies? N no, and that's why for me it's not about how many women I bring to Dubai. This is a very interesting program that could also interest, for example, European countries when they look at, you know, uh, the immigration problem, um, investing more in such initiatives to make sure that actually the population then stay home with their families and, and create job opportunities there. I, I can't share a lot, but um, we are exactly uh, looking at this in uh, uh, Portugal. Okay. Yeah, which is very interesting. And uh, funnily enough, in New York, 
So we're looking at, because as an example, the model can be replicated. Uh, of course, we do it between Africa and the UAE because there is an incredible synergy and the program is, I mean, it, it just ticks so many boxes in terms of uh, um, strength relationships between countries. It, it just is a very, you know, it's a 360, it just works 360. But if you think about New York, where you have very wealthy areas in Manhattan and you have very deprived community in the Bronx, you could potentially do a similar program between those areas. You could do the same uh, in Europe, in any, in any place where you say, you know, there are a, a problem with um, um, welcoming people who are not as skilled as uh, the local community. So how can we um, uh, um, address that issue? So we're looking at something like that. How do you see yourself in the next uh, few years? So now you said in 2020 you'll see the first results in terms of social impact with the first first women you worked with. Um, do you see yourself working in more uh, countries in Africa or going maybe to Asia? Um, how, how, how do you see yourself? Because it's very new. I mean, 2017 is just a couple of years, but it seems that it's really working well. So we, we work in Ghana. Um, we are uh, launching in South Africa, hopefully by the end of this year. We're just waiting for the dates to be confirmed. And that will be for a group of 20 girls. Um, and then um, we are also launching in Rwanda, uh, hopefully by end of February, March. The, we, we would love to, um, you know, I would love to enter as many countries as possible. We're having conversations with um, Nigeria, Kenya. Um, we would love to enter as many countries as possible. Um, the, the, the first step for us to go in is to get endorsement from governments because the moment you go into rural areas and you talk about mobility of women, you need you need to have government uh, aware of what you're doing. Um, so um, Asia is also another uh, another area, another opportunities. Um, where there is, of course, we need to go to countries where there is a level of English uh, because the girls have to travel to, to Dubai. If it's not for them to travel to Dubai, then again, we can look at a model where they, they train within the same, uh, within, within the country. So the whole program started around the uh, tourism um, business and, um, and hospitality business, which is really interesting because at the end of the day, we have tourism everywhere, right? Hotels and restaurants. And um, so it does make sense to, to be able to take these people uh, all over the world in terms of when we talk about sustainable tourism, it's not only about the, the energy we save in the hotel or, you know, the water saved. It's also about the way they hire people or the way they give back to local communities. So we've been working a lot, for example, with Accor hotels who are really strong in terms of sustainability. We plant trees with them and, and uh, we see the trees, for example, they plant in uh, North Africa or in Asia. They all have to give back to the local farmers community and then the hotels will actually benefit from whatever fruit has been produced by those farmers and they will and offer those fruits to their guests. That is a beautiful way of giving back, but also, you know, engaging with all the different stakeholders. We do work with ACOV very closely um, and they, they've just been amazing. You know, they, they do understand. And this is something that I always say, you know, with them, it was never a matter of uh, convincing them to, to become a partner. Actually, they, they were the ones saying, you know, why have we not done this before? Very, very supportive. Um, and I think you're right in terms of uh, sustainability, especially when it comes in, uh, to tourism and hospitality, they always think of environmental sustainability. 
never of socialist never about social responsibility so this is what we are trying to do is to embed the social responsibility in HR practices and say okay you can be socially responsible also in the way you recruit um, and one thing they also we are working on um, 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 in, in developing countries actually to create boutique hotels in rural areas that are uh, sustainable. So not only financially sustainable, but they are all uh, eco uh, um, building. They give, of course, um, um, recruit, um, they give employment, generate new income, can be a training center for people in the community. Um, because I, I do believe that if tourism is, if it's done in the right way, if it's, if the infrastructure, if the, the, the ecosystem around tourism is, is done in the right way, I mean, of course, it can be sustainable. And of course, it can benefit the, the local community. Yeah, it can be very impactful. Yes. And one reason that we, we, I started in hospitality, not only because it was my background, so I knew the in and out, it's because, as you said, tourism is everywhere um, in the world. And, um, um, you know, some people don't realize how much... Um, 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 income tourism brings to, um, especially in developing countries. So tourism, of course, generates uh, income, uh, uh, runs, uh, you know, it helps the economy, but also because um, it's um, uh, you, you run, you learn skills, especially entry level, that you can really transfer to other industries. So if you if you learn customer service, if you learn how to look after a guest, then you can work in a post office, you can work in a supermarket. You know, you have the. I always say that if if anyone in the world would spend one year in hospitality out of their own life, the world would be a better place because you really care about people. You learn to care about others, and it's beautiful. So once once they learn that those basic skills, you know, even if they want to become an entrepreneur, you know that it needs to be a customer journey, you know that there needs to be that uh, um, uh, look after your, your, your customers. So that's why hospitality for me was perfect. This is why Dubai is the center of your initiative at the end of the day. <laughs> You have the highest number of hotels and it's part of the culture. Exactly. You have the major hotel chains that have hotels in uh, in Africa so the girls can move from Dubai back to their own country within the same organization. The UAE is such a, a safe place. So if the girls come to Dubai, I know that, you know, they, they are safe. I don't need to constantly worry, oh my gosh, you know, they've gone out or, you know, are they back? Because it's a very safe place and they, they can settle in very, very quickly. Uh, you know, they after one week they're here, although they've never traveled, uh, um, you know, they take the metro on their own. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's a great achievement. You know, getting out of your comfort zone, get the metro, get off anywhere you want in Dubai and just have a look around. And, you know, it's really safe. So it's, it's great. And I'm sure they, there's such a mix of communities and, and cultures here that they might find other people from their own country. And, and that helps a lot to be able to connect. So... What, how do you see yourself? What is your dream now for evolving women? I have, it's very challenging because I have, I'm, I'm, I'm a visionary, so I have this huge vision, but I'm also perfectionist and I'm very ambitious. So I have this big vision, will never be perfect, and I want it to have happened yesterday. <laughs> so they do, they do clash. So I'm, in this, I'm constantly dwelling. Like The vision is to, um, to have um, three, to really go from individual development for women with the program to um, cooperatives for entrepreneurs in rural areas to community impact through the hotel, through the boutique hotel. So we want to go from uh, individual to entrepreneurs 
to communities. And although the hotels, of course, is one that will take longer to, to develop, is the, 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 the element of the, sorry, the, th the third pillar that will bring everything together because the girls will train there before they come to Dubai. So it's all coming together through the hotel. So essentially, yeah, the long vision is to have to, to become a social enterprise that governments, NGOs could go to when they want to develop communities, not only uh, empowering women, but starting with women. Astia's journey is really inspiring, and we really hope more of us can take heart from the fact that even at a small individual scale, you can drive real social change. She works with a large pool of mentors who work closely with the women they help place so that it is a fulfilling journey for them. As always, thank you for listening. You can listen to all of our episodes for free in your favorite podcast player. You just look for Forward Talks or Goombook and you can also connect with us on Instagram at Goombook. That's G-O-U-M-B-O-O-K or via our website, kumbuk.com. Thank you.